Well, welcome to this very festive episode of A Shot in the Arm podcast, which we're entitling But Our Emails, where Yvette and I are going to answer some of the questions that our listeners and viewers, friends and family have put to us and asked us to uh, opine on. So are you ready for this, Yvette? Yes, I am as ready as I can be, like my Christmas hat. It's cool, huh? Uh, these are posy hats, right? Yes, yes. posy hats. Sorry. If you are listening, you won't be able to see them, but you can find them in the uh, in the links in the show notes. Now, again, we're recording from um, a mall in uh, Midran, South Africa, so you may hear some background noise, but that's the way it goes. So, look, our first question comes from friend of a Shot in the Arm podcast, Margaret Cowie Tong who is based in Albany, California, but actually has her heart in Bucky, Scotland. And the question for us is, imagine a world without the internet. How would you two carry on your friendship and commitment to do the international work you do? I think it would be, uh, thanks, Margaret, for your great question. I think it would, have, it would be like it has always been uh, before, uh, traveling in between the two countries and getting to know each other better. And Meeting up at conferences, and that is actually how we kept in touch before Facebook, the internet. So basically, it, it would have been waiting for the AIDS conferences to happen, which makes me sad. Actually. Yeah. And faxes. Do you remember those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd get your people to fax my people. <laughs> yes. Yes. And wait for a paper. And wait for a paper. A, a paper message. Yes. Yeah. And and the postcards. Let's not forget the postcards. Oh, no. The no, Christmas absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our next question comes from Hannah in Copenhagen. And he asks, for both of you, do you think you would still be alive in 2022? No, I did not. I, I lived my life like every day was the last day. But that's how we should live. In any case, uh, death is not, death is the only thing that we are sure of would happen will happen, right? So um, I think we live a little bit differently by thinking that we live, uh, like, we live every day, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's what the, the gist is. We live every single day. So, Well, it's a, so, bit, it's a bit like Deo Volante, God willing. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I think if I was back in... 2002, I would probably have questioned whether I'd still be alive today. I think many of us old dinosaur activists, oddly enough, whether we were HIV positive or HIV negative, we didn't think long term. And it's sort of really starting to bite. So uh, yeah, great question, Hannah. Thank you for that. Oh, the next one, which follows on rather nicely from this, is from our sister Vyuseka Dubula. Will the world end HIV? <laughs> uh, yes, I think there has to become, there has to be an end to this madness. You, as an activist yourself, you know that how tiring it has been for us to fight an invisible, almost enemy. But also, I think the science is going to progress to a point where we do have all the tools that we need to end AIDS by 2030. And all of us, I like the fact that she mentioned the world. It's not only one person's responsibility, but everyone's. 
Yeah, see, I'm going to beg to differ there. I think the idea of ending AIDS is uh, it's a, it's a silly aspirational message. It's a it's a tagline more than a public health strategy. I think if you look at human uh, the human response to diseases, we've come close to eliminating polio almost, but not quite. In essence, we've had to come to terms with and live with infectious diseases, and I suspect that's what we're going to have to do with HIV. And I think we're just going to have to uh, come to terms with AIDS and HIV. Well, HIV, hopefully, uh, will have the treatments to prevent uh, people from progressing to AIDS. Okay, let's go over to Nigeria. And Chester from Lagos asks us, oh, this is a good one. The COVID-19 pandemic, in it, global solidarity was an absolute joke. Will the West stop medical apartheid and give us solutions to ensure quick, easy local access to vaccines and treatments? You want to have a go at that? Yes, I think the, the world is starting to get the message around decolonization and also the fact that the West has to do better. The rich has to do better. My favorite, favorite TikToker is a young South African girl who says, there's so many people who can't they just give us a little bit money so that we all are equal. And this World AIDS Day message today talks about equity, equalize the playing field. We cannot say we are equal when Ben has a billion rents and I can hardly eat tonight. So yes, at some point, the rich is going to realize when the poor have nothing else to eat, they might eat them. Well, I don't disagree with you. I suppose the only thing I disagree with is I don't have a billion rands. Mm. I'm thinking of it, Chester, from the issue of local manufacture of vaccines. And I think coming out of COVID-19, there has been a dramatic shift in the way that the public health community thinks about it. Clearly, COVID-19 taught us that the arrangements that we have of manufacture in the north and then hopefully supply across the world, well, that didn't work. And it didn't work because governments in the north put themselves to the front of the queue. And that, I suppose, is not to be too surprising, but it is what happened. And so if we go to the mantra of no one is safe until everyone is safe, we have to make sure that manufacturing of new vaccines and treatments are able to be done in the countries close to where the, um, the pandemics are breaking out. So I really hope that in the coming years, well, in the coming 18 months, we're going to see major movement on local and regional manufacture of, of vaccines. Oh, a COVID question here. Janet Tobias, my friend from the Global Health Reporting Center um, and the uh, Emmy Award will any Emmy Award winning filmmaker, she asks us, "What's the story around COVID rebounds, infections after taking Paxlovid? Does the drug make the disease work? Does it help? Why the rebound?" Here, I don't have an answer for that, uh, Ben and uh, Janet, because. Basically, myself has had COVID three times, and it's the worst feeling. I think the feeling around um, the the exhaustion, just feeling so fatigued, can be a 
a sign of that the medication really does just not really work. Did you take Paxlovid? No, it's not available. What's Paxlovid? So Paxlovid is a, a, a one drug that comes from Pfizer plus uh, that dear old evergreen HIV medication, um, uh, Norvia. Yes, but, but that again shows the fact that you know exactly what it is and I've never heard of a COVID medication. It's a problem. Well, the Global Fund announced a deal with, um, with Pfizer to make Paxlovid available, um, but we weren't able to know the prices of what they had agreed. Wait, so I think, um, well, I don't know. That's up to the Global Fund, isn't it? We need to ask Peter Sands that question. Yes, but it's clearly not for Africa. Well, I hope the aim is for it. To, anyway, all that being said, um, it goes back to this question of access and solidarity, and that's a big weakness. But to Janet's other question, does Paxlovid help? Well, it was really interesting for me to take Ritonavir, uh, that evergreen drug. Oh, what a horrid, horrid drug. What a dreadful taste it left in your mouth and what dreadful uh, diarrhea it gave you. Uh, but I think Paxlovid, for me, certainly sped up the uh, initial symptoms of, of COVID. I've really suffered over the last few months with long COVID, um, brain fatigue and um, exhaustion and the so forth. Um, but it is interesting, and we saw it in Tony Fauci, that he had a slight rebound after taking Paxlovid. And I think there is something there. But I think it speaks to the broader question about the SARS-CoV-2 virus itself. We're only beginning to understand it. And um, I hope we will learn a lot more. And I've no doubt that our therapies are going to have to change uh, and continue to evolve as we learn more about the virus. But can I take the next question from Tina? What is, the, for both of us, what is the most important global health achievement in 2022 for you, Ben. Let's, let's hear. That's a tough one. So I think hot off the press in the US, I know this is not going to be something that applies globally, is the new treatment for dementia. Uh, something that seems to be able not, not to cure dementia, not cure um, um, Alzheimer's, but certainly slow the progression. And, and I think what's significant about that, it's a monoclonal antibody treatment, but what's significant about it is that it shows for the first time that we can begin to reverse some of these, or at least stall some of these diseases that we really haven't been able to do anything about. So it's a, it's a hope, but it's a hope that needs to be improved on in terms of the quality of the treatment and the quality of the research. And obviously, obviously, we are no one's safe until everyone's safe. We have to make sure that for all of these drugs and innovations, we have access at the forefront of our thinking. Yes, but for me, it's, it's obviously Cabernet. It's the uh, discovery of all the positive news around a long-acting two-month prevention drug for HIV. It means you basically are able to take an injection and prevent yourself from getting HIV. And that just shows how our science is improving. Which leads us on to our next question, which is from our friend Sean Mellors, 
who is in Ealing, London, the UK, uh, and also works for Vive Healthcare, the manufacturer of Cabelet. He's got two questions for us, actually. The first is, what do you think is the biggest challenge related to press PrEP access in Eastern Southern Africa? And what, in your opinion, is the answer to the challenge? Uh, yes. Hi, Sean. Um, <laughs> I think PrEP access is just not only about equality, uh, equity and equality, but for me, the big one is believing that an ARV and that education we have to have to still have. One, in South Africa, we don't have political will behind this drug, the fact that we can prevent HIV with an ARV. Second, the challenge around stigmatizing medication, how we have stigmatized ARVs now that it is used for prevention, it's difficult for people to actually get their brains around it. That if I walk around with an ARV, people will think I'm HIV positive. So removing the, H the, H the stigma around HIV medication. And I think just lastly is when PrEP was approved, we thought it was going to be the magic bullet. Everybody's going to be happy to pop a pill. But we're realizing that PrEP is made sexy for men, for gay men to use, and it is a burden for women. So when the PrEP communication happens, it is more than just, um, I'm trying to prevent HIV because I want to have nice sex. I want to have sex without a condom. I want to enjoy the feeling. No, for women is prevent your baby from getting HIV, prevent your husband from getting HIV, prevent the world from getting HIV. But when you look at the brand for gay men and for men, it's sexy. Please make PrEP sexy for women and young girls too. Oh, I agree. Make PrEP sexy for girls and young women. I will say... Because we know they're having sex. And then I want just to talk a little bit more about that. Because we are pretending that young people are only having sex under very, very strange situations like gender-based violence, like rape, and we are not teaching young people to embrace sexual health. Please make PrEP sexy for my girls. So I think that's right, but I think it's a bigger question for the whole prevention community. We have thought about um, HIV prevention in terms of, gosh, prevent yourself from dying or getting really sick. Whereas what we really should be doing is thinking about incorporating PrEP into a healthy lifestyle. So, yeah, it's as much as having fun safely as it is protecting yourself. I've got to say, the adverts in the United States, you won't have seen them, but the adverts for PrEP that Gilead and Vive Healthcare have produced, I think are, are actually really strong prevention TikTok videos short clips um we can get rid of all the um <laughs> welcome to um the street scene in uh in midrand um hey um so i think those 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 videos have been really informative and, and helpful but sean i would say that i think and this is not necessarily a criticism directly of Vive healthcare but we all have to do a better job of when, new, when innovations are developed 
even almost before they get approved, we have to be in a situation where we can think about price, volumes, affordability, implementation, um, so that when they are approved, they can be implemented quickly. And I think there is a conversation that really has to happen across a number of sectors to, to bring that together. I mean, one of the things um, I felt UNAIDS could really do, building on the legacy of what Peter Piot um, and Michel Sidibe did, is to bring all the players together and say, okay, how do we do this in a collegiate way? Then, if that's not possible, well, then that's when we have to start implementing um, other measures. But Sean is asking another question. Apart from Posi, where else do you shop? Sean, are you sure? Oh, he, you know why he's asking this. So we have a tradition. Whenever one of us comes to South Africa, we have to go to Woolies, to Woolworths, to buy a year's supply of underpants and socks. And I'm delighted to say that I was able to achieve that this year. Last year, Sean actually bought them for me and had them, them shipped over. Wow. Ah, and you get to me to do that too. Oh, and you've done it for me as well yes, too. Yeah. But Woolies underpants and socks. There's a plug for Woolies. Okay, Christine Stegling, this is a question for you. Our friend Christine Stegling, um, about to join UNAIDS, um, the Executive Director of Frontline AIDS in Brighton, the UK, she asks, um, well, she says she'd like to ask a question, but she's at her daughter's gymnastics right now. And the first thing that comes to mind is, how on earth will we support working mums trying to end AIDS and failing at it? Because multitasking, they just have so much to do and are so tired. You can speak to that one. Yes. And, and I think the most important part is that when we have women's leaders like herself, she is now the newly appointed deputy for, for UNAIDS. Congrats, my friend. But most importantly is that women, when we employ women, we should not expect women to become men. And COVID has showed us that we can work from home. Let me tell you, apart from how I multitask with my very formal shirt on Zoom calls and then my tracksuit pants at the bottom, is while I do that, my pots are on the stove and I'm able to check on my husband and also read emails from my son's school because he's still in high school. So yes, when we employ or when we give women leaders opportunities, we should not be expect them to become men and we should embrace them. And COVID has shown us we can work from anywhere. And I think that's the best place to be. Work from home. Why should we go to the office and be stuck in traffic and pay for so much petrol? Yeah, I, I do think the, um, the experience of COVID of working remotely is going to transform the workplace. But um, men just should embrace that because it's the male leaders that wants to see us go to the office and open emails. I can do that from my couch, guys. There's Elon speaking to us. Work from the office. Yeah, he um, just needs people to keep renting the buildings he owns behind the scenes. Well, I, I, I will say all kudos to you and to Christina. I think it is amazing how women leaders are able to juggle so much because I know men like me, we just wouldn't be able to do it. So, so look, here's a question from Kenneth in Singapore. Now you're going to like this one. 
Why is public health so crap at behavior change? The, the, the thing for me around behavior change is who wants to change what behavior from a people? Like when we talk about behavior change, and this is how I've done it, because I work for a behavior change communication organization, is when you go into a community, give them the facts, let them digest that and choose what works for them and change their behavior accordingly. You cannot come to me, ex give me 10 million condoms, expect me to change my behavior from not using condoms, whereas you do not know the structural situation that I'm in. So give me the condoms. I know they are there and let me find a way. I'll make an example. When I was given ARVs for the first time, my doctor said, I'm telling you, you need to take this every 12 hours. But I don't know what 12 hours means to you. I don't know when the 12 hours will fit you. And I had to change my behavior around taking my medication time and also how that impacted. And one of the things sometimes when we work with communities, we need to learn that communities sometimes decide for the, you know, the intervention to suit into their own behavior, not for the, the behavior to change into the, to suit the, uh, the intervention. I, I hope that makes sense, right? So I needed to change where I am at eight o'clock because I'm taking medication or I needed to make sure I have my medication in my bag so that at eight o'clock I have access to my medication because I might still be at work. I might still be in the train on my way home. So that is how I think we fail at global health because we want people to change. Yeah, and I, I think going back to the conversation about making PrEP sexy, it's, I think now about, there are times when we have to communicate very directly as with COVID around, this is how you protect yourself and this is what you've got to do. And maybe that works in an emergency setting, but over the long-term, like the long-term emergency that is HIV, I don't know that that works. So the, the approach, you know, you've got to be very direct and tell people, AIDS kills, get yourself tested, get yourself on medicine, wear a condom, pop a pill. Over the long term, that doesn't work. And so I'm really intrigued by this approach that is really viewing um, safe sex or healthy behaviors, whole person health in the context of, um, you know, more of an engaging lifestyle approach. But also, Ben, when you talk about that, it reminds me how language is also important, right? Uh, saying condomless sex just is as direct or even better than saying safe sex, because what is dangerous sex? Yeah, well, I mean, this is, you can, as you can see, this is me as a dinosaur thinking in 1990s language, practice safe sex. And we had this debate on whether it was safe or safer sex. But I think all of that has changed. I think yes. we have to look at the reality now. And, you know, the, uh, another dinosaur, my dear friend Gus Cairns from London in the UK pointed my out, fave. yes, our fave, he pointed out that the concerns that some folks raised, that if people were taking PrEP and not using condoms, that you would see a rapid increase in other sexually transmitted diseases. 
Well, actually, that didn't happen because what you were doing with PrEP is actually connecting people to care more intentionally. And that allowed them to, um, to treat and prevent some of the STIs, sexually transmitted infections, that we had seen earlier on in the epidemic. So I think that's interesting. Yes, very. And, and it's important that we listened to Gus yeah. initially because he, he was very vocal about this. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag listen to Gus. Ah, another Brit, Andy Seal, who works with the WHO in uh, Geneva, asks us, seriously though, does he not think we're serious? What has surprised you most in 2022? I think for me, because Peppa is a dinosaur like us, is the fact that they're rethinking their whole strategy and how they are shaping it for Africa to actually lead. And for me, that was, that was a shocker. Mm-hmm. But I knew it was going to come with uh, Ambassador John and Kenka song, but it was, I was surprised that he could change, make a change strategically so quick. I've I got to admit, John's appointment as PEPFAR coordinator, um, I did a podcast with Eric Goosby and Mark Dybel, uh, both of them former PEPFAR coordinators, and, and we all agreed that this was an extraordinary stroke of brilliance. We have someone who knows how the uh, machinations of U.S. bureaucracy works, but we know, but we're with, but, but he's someone who knows how to implement programs in and from Africa. So I, I, I agree that's that's interesting. Um, what surprised me most in 2022? I guess, do you know? I guess it is Hazel Dean's new mini album, Eight, where she covers um, Abba songs. Um, her favorite ABBA songs. And I was surprised because she did two incredible versions of Knowing Me, Knowing You and Summer Night City. Both of these songs are very difficult to cover. They're, they're, they're produced and performed by ABBA in, in spectacular but very complex ways. Um, I bet Andy Seal is falling off his couch laughing as, at, at me saying this. But um, I think Hazel did an extraordinary job. And so I strongly recommend streaming or buying her new mini album, Eight. Yeah, and you're flying out of South Africa today. Chicken or beef? Oh, chicken or beef. So if I say vegetarian option? That was not the question. But also, aisle or window? Okay, well, I'm an aisle guy because I need to be close to the lavatory. I'm a window person because when I get onto the plane, I fall asleep and don't wake up until... I hear the sound of the trolleys, food or drink. Chicken or beef? Chicken for me. No, beef. So so here's a one. Uh, A certain Janet from Ringwood, Hampshire, United Kingdom. And it's for you, Yvette. How did you come up with Posse? And why don't I have one of your dresses? I'm size 10 to 12. (laughs) I think that that hint was for you to do shopping for my lovely and loving Janet. But obviously, Fuzzy was born out of um, COVID, registered. Uh, we, were, we were lucky that the mall developers, the McComic family, built the whole cast collab and included us. But coming up with Fuzzy was just to make activists, feminist women look sexy while we are being disruptive. 
We used to look like billboards wearing all kinds of T-shirts by funders with logos on hand jeans. Now, activist feminist women are looking pretty in posy dresses. But importantly, Janet, we will get you a dress today. No. And thanks for sharing your size with us. And I know you're going to rock those old ladies at the queues in the... Where, where does Janet go to? The thrift shop, right? Oh, she goes she to... Loves she, she loves the charity shops and she loves Waitrose, which is a very particular kind of UK supermarket. Yes. Perhaps a little bit similar to Woolworths. Oh, right. Anyway, rapidly moving on. Emily Bass, our dear friend and activist Emily Bass, asks us, what is your favorite karaoke jam? First of all, karaoke is white, so I don't want to answer that. But my favorite song is I Am a Conqueror by Estelle from the UK. Like, oh, that used to be my anthem when I used to sing that. And I felt every year moving past World AIDS Day and I'm getting older and older and older and living with HIV. I would just scream out my resilience and I Am a Conqueror was it. Oh, I'm going to have to answer this as well, aren't I? Yes, because you're white. What is karaoke first for my listeners? Well, karaoke is, and I'm not the person to ask, but karaoke is having a, a boombox or, or a sound system in a, uh, a bar or a cafe, and you go up and you sing along to um, your favorite pop songs. So I think it really favorite? started in Japan and has moved right across the world. What's your favorite? So I got to say, I, this is going back a long, long way in Zurich, in actually a Filipino Swiss um, karaoke bar, uh, I was singing along to the German duo, The Modern Talking. So imagine, Sherry Sherry Lady, it's not nice to think about. Mm. You want to take, you want to ask me this one? This one from Keith? No, Mr. B. Mr. B from SF asks, why are you still advertising on Twitter? <laughs> uh, well, you never know. By the time this goes out, we may not be. Oh, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. What to say about what the little blue My favorite app, and I actually disagree with you with the new owner. He's not my favorite person in the world, but he is because he's going to unblock my Twitter handle, which was blocked for my advocacy, I know. He said if it's not a crime, he's going to open my Twitter. And has he? I better check on Paz Candy. Yeah, because it might well be that yours is still blocked and all these right-wingers aren't, all these extremists. But if he unblocked Donald Trump, I'm sure you will unblock me. Well, you need to check that. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, it's a good question, Mr. B. I don't know that we will be advertising on Twitter and promoting on Twitter. It served us very, very well, particularly during um, the, the latter phases of COVID and, and, and this year. Um, but uh, I'm really interested in the, uh, the new social platforms like Mastodon and Post. So uh, expect to see more of us there. So Keith from Leeds asks, asks you, Ben, you have Crohn's disease. Why won't you talk about it in your podcast? And what treatment are you on? And is it, is it working? Oh, well, thank you, Keith. Yeah. Uh, Keith is also someone who lives with Crohn's and has been bugging me, actually, through the Little Blue Bird um, uh, app social platform to talk more about Crohn's disease. Yes, uh, I live with Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed when I was 18. 
Um, it is an autoimmune disease that can affect you anywhere from your mouth to your to your anus. Um, it causes it's an autoimmune disease, so it causes inflammation, um, and that inflammation can be very very damaging. Um, I have it uh, just below my stomach and in my in, in intestines. Um, I've also had eye complaints, uh, a sort of a rheumatoid arthritis, um, and I've been on and off treatment my my entire life. Um, I'm currently on a long acting infusion, and I'm not going to say the generic name because the problem with these monoclonal antibody treatments is that their names are utterly unintelligible and repeatable. Um, but it's a compound that is made um, as an infusion. And every six weeks I go in, have an hour and a half where I can do nothing at all, but sit and listen to ABBA or Hazel Dean on my, on my, uh, on my iPhones. Um, is the treatment working? Yes, but um, you've got to keep at it. Yes, so Ben, basically, such brilliant questions from our friends, such brilliant questions from our followers, our listeners, and our viewers. And I think uh, as we come to the end of this marvelous episode, you're going to close us out, but I just would like to literally give big kudos to the Casico Lab for hosting us in Tembisa, South Africa, and the brands that you see here today are all locally manufactured. I also want to give a give big thank you to the furniture guy, the guy who does furniture, Topwood, for borrowing us your chairs. And as you can see on the right, somewhere there, there's the shoe guy. I call him Ntokozo, the shoe guy. And he makes leather shoes. But inside the Corsico Lab is 12 brilliant, brilliant um local designers and today you get to experience and as i told you you're gonna have to shop now i'm gonna have to go shopping after this god help us all well i really enjoyed this i think it is um really wonderful to be able to reply to listeners and viewers directly we should do this again i think yes next time when i'm in san francisco which is next week tuesday we might record something oh, from your space. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Right. Um, keep those questions and comments coming. You can contact us um, uh, at our website, um, www.ashotinthearmpodcast.com, or you can find us wherever you download your podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this merry, festive, happy holidays stocking Arbitar emails podcast. Have a great holiday and a safe holiday, everybody. Thank you. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs>